Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Week is winding down for most of us. I had someone lovingly remind me that not everyone is off over the weekend. So nonetheless, uh, here we are. Got a great show planned for you, but I say that every night. You know why? Because I always do. I, I truly do spend my weeks um, every day just collecting ideas and stories, noting things that come up in sessions that I think would be meaningful to everyone. So know that like I do very uh, carefully curate all the things we talk about Um Anyway, having said that, I don't know what made me say that, but I thought, hey, I'll weigh in on that. Uh, we got a good show planned, though, as I said. We're going to talk about what to do if you can't afford therapy. Not, you know, therapy's not accessible for everyone. Um, so we're going to talk about that. And then uh, trigger warning, later in the show, we're going to be talking about the cycle of abuse. How to know if that's someone, I'm sorry, how to know if that's something that you might be creating. You might be the abuser. When we talk about psychological and emotional abuse, some people start to realize, uh-oh, I do that they might say, right? Because some of these things have been normalized. So we're going to talk about what to do if you're the victim, the abuser, what the cycle looks like, and uh, more importantly, how to get out of it. And of course, DM. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. We want to hear from you. Now, last night, and uh, if you want to check out last night's episode, go to wearechannelq.com. But last night, I, I started the show by saying, look, it's uh, National Mental Health Awareness Month. And I kind of did part one, and tonight is part two, of talking about suicide prevention. And so content warning for that as well. We're going to be talking about suicidality for the rest of this segment. And last night, I really wanted to drive home the idea that when we talk about um, suicidality and self-care, we often make it a private individual thing. Like you need to do self-care, go home and do it. Uh, anything you're struggling with mental health wise is on your shoulders and handle it. And I said, well, that's not fair or true. We need to think also in terms of community care, which means, hey, I might be part of the problem even though I might not be the one struggling, I might be part of my neighbor's problem or a loved one's problem because I might be someone who is helping perpetuate problematic norms, values, ideals, and systems that these people are harmed by. And we all can do community care, taking the burden off of everyone to be doing self-care and to be resilient around these problematic things. We can be dismantling them. And we were talking about it last night where I was saying, listen, please don't think that homophobia, racism, transphobia, sexism, ableism, classism, body shaming, all these different isms, don't think that those aren't the precipitating and causes of a lot of mental health issues because they are. And those things are not dismantled by someone at home on their own alone doing self-care. Those are things that culturally we all perpetuate, create, strengthen, and we should be working to dismantle. It harms us and everyone else. So mental health, but more importantly for our topic right now, suicide prevention means ending all of those factors and those forces. Okay, that's in there. Also, we have to dismantle these, these forms of toxic consumerism, the idea that our worth is tied to what we own, what we buy, what we purchase, also what we produce. You know, all these different systems, and we see this a lot in advertising that says, you're, on, you're not okay as you are. You need to lose weight, anti-aging. All those systems keep the ball in the air, the ball of I'm not good enough and, and, and tanking someone's mental health. We need to push back on that. Who we deem to be a value, what we call success, either empowers or disempowers people and leads to suicidality. We know in the research on those that um, uh, have death by suicide that often the world that they're a part of doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel comfortable, right? It's rare that suicidality occurs to someone whose life is well. 
And we are part of creating that. Suicide prevention is also, as I said, community care. We, we take responsibility for the needs, the health, the welfare, the well-being of everyone around us. You know, this, this individual, this individualism, you're on your own, you know, figure out your problems. That is the problem. We have to treat others better. We prevent suicide when we don't bully, when we're not trolling, when we're not posting hate on social media or talking poorly about people, right? We're not shaming, we're not mocking. That, that is part of suicide prevention. Suicide prevention is also working less, resting more, centering our lives in meaning and purpose, finding pleasure and joy. Far too many people are overworked, stressed out, disconnected, right? We have to center joy, fun, leisure, pleasure. A lot of people in our culture struggle with that. They think they have to earn it or defend it. That's part of mental health, that high level of stress. I told you all how moved I was by that movie, Nomadland. Please see it. And this one line from that movie where someone, all they wanted to do was go boating. They bought this boat and they worked so hard to buy this boat. And when they retired, they were going to go take the boat out into the water. But they died with the boat still parked in their driveway, having never used it. They died having just only been in stress and working their whole life. Our lives should not be us dying with our own version of the boat that we never got to use still parked in our driveway. You don't want to die having never taken that vacation, having never prioritized family members and loved ones. In all the research around suicidality and people that are in their last few hours of life, it's always about, I wish I'd spent more time with people. I wish I'd done more experiential things. It was never about what they had purchased or they wish they'd worked more or harder. We need to back off and away from that. Suicide prevention is also talking honestly and openly about our mental health. It allows us to get care, support, and offer that and reduce stigma, right? So that's all part of suicide prevention. It can't just be on the shoulders of the individual or telling them to get into therapy. We all have a part of that. We'll keep talking about it. But coming up next, we're going to talk about what to do if you can't afford therapy. What other options are available for you or someone you love or care about? You know, that's important stuff. And then, of course, DM. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all right we're back and uh we're talking about how to you know what to do when you can't afford therapy i think it's a really important topic uh this this came up in a session i had <clears throat> excuse me 
where we were talking about uh, other people in individuals' lives who maybe need therapy but aren't able to access it for whatever reason. So I thought, what a really important topic because I think we all say things like, oh, that person needs help, right? Or, you know, that person needs to get into therapy. But therapy isn't available or accessible to everyone. And that's also <clears throat> what's hard for myself as a therapist is that there's, there's a, what's the word, not obstacles. Anyway, essentially it is obstacles though. There's a better word for it, but <clears throat> there are things that can maybe prevent someone's ability. You know, remember therapy means first off that we have the time in our schedule, you know, and even though we can now offer teletherapy, not everyone is in a housing situation that A, has Wi-Fi, uh, or an available computer or smartphone, or even privacy. And it's not as simple as saying, well, go sit in the car, go for a walk. Not everyone has access to a car. Maybe their partner is using the family car, right? So I just wanna, I guess, call that out on a global level. So it's easy to say, this person needs treatment, they need help, go get help. Like we use that as a very weaponized thing to punish someone, you need help. Great, help them get help then. You know what I mean? If you notice that someone needs that help and you keep saying that to your friend or your family member, help them get help then. You know what I mean? Don't weaponize it, but I just wanna call that out. It's very easy to say, get some therapy as though it is affordable and accessible to everyone, it's not. So I wanna call that out. Then we look at the fact that some people wanna work with a specialized therapist. And I mean that even in terms of someone black wanting to work with a black therapist, someone gay wanting a gay therapist. Um, you know, finding someone who's gay affirmative or can you know critically analyze the intersections of race within mental health, that's not even always accessible. I am on a lot of different listservs and I travel and I train therapists and as part of a program I'm with, the Sexual Health Alliance. And, and I know that it's hard sometimes even in that room that when I bring up things like, what does it mean for the individuals in this room that are therapists that are straight to work with a gay client or therapists that are white to work with a client of color? Are you comfortable calling that out and acknowledging that? Have you done any work around um, critical anti-racism work and within the therapy context or working with you know clients with diverse sexual backgrounds do you pathologize that do you shame that can you hold space for that so there's even that it's just like do I have the ability to create time and space for therapy then do I have a safe space with which to enter into it um, then can I even find a kind of therapist that meets my needs me as a certified you know relationship and sex therapist that is, there's only about 400 of us in the world that are certified. And I advise that you see someone certified as a sex therapist if you need to talk about sexually based things. Um, <clears throat> not that other therapists can't sometimes do that, but most of them are absolutely not trained in that. But if there's only about four or 500 of us in the entire world, it's very hard to access them. And there's a lot of people with waiting lists or fees you can't afford. So the first thing I wanna start with is if you have health insurance, please look into that, right? That's the first thing I would say. If you have health insurance, your plan most likely will cover some form of counseling or psychotherapy. Um, so you wanna look into that and you might wanna find someone who's on your provider list because if you're looking for a therapist out of network, that will be something you'll have to pay out of pocket. They can often provide a bill monthly or every couple months that you on your own can submit your insurance company to work on getting reimbursement back, which means you might have to pay for, well, which means you have to pay for it at the time of service and then whatever money you get back decreases the cost, but that's still not affordable for everyone. So I wanna just acknowledge that. But Working with an intern, and I've interns, does mean that you can get a reduced fee, you know, quite low, but you'd be working with someone who's working towards licensure, right? Has their master's, working towards getting licensed under someone's supervision, and that can be a really great experience for some people. So first start with your insurance company, you know, talk to them. And then again, you know, you have to do the legwork of if that doesn't work for you, looking for people online, reaching out to them, finding out if they have sliding scale options, which means that they have a stated fee, but sometimes they'll have a certain number of slots. I do this. I have a certain number of slots set aside where my fee is significantly reduced so as to accommodate people that can't meet my full fee. But those slots get taken very quickly, you know? So you want to look into that. Does this person have sliding scale, any kind of different rates? Um, is there an intern under their supervision that maybe I can work with, knowing that that will be something that can help? And also looking into community mental health centers. You know, a lot of local neighborhoods have sliding scale and low fee. Um, so look into, again, community mental health centers. I, early on in my career, worked at some of those. And treatment is usually covered through insurance or out of pocket. It's very low, 25 maybe $35 a session. So that's also something that's possible. Um, you know, the telemedicine thing is what's going to really give us uh, a wider reach. Now, if that doesn't work for you, sometimes you can find some group therapy. 
Group therapy always is a reduced fee. It's not individual therapy and the power of other members being present can be very helpful. So that's also something. Um, 12 step programs exist if we're talking about something more drug and alcohol based, so that's great. And then if none of that's available or you want something additional, then we're talking about books and um, it's a lot of good books out there. And I know that that's not necessarily the most ideal thing because you're working on your own, but I want to hold space for the meaning in that. I, I've recommended books to clients and I've said to them, use it as a workbook. As you're reading things, highlight what's profound to you. Highlight insights. Take note of things that you want to remember. Highlight, take note of things that speak to who you want to be and how you'd ideally like to be as a partner, as a human in the world, right? Also, examine yourself through the book as you're reading it. Oh, I do that. I should do more of that. Oh, I realize I do that. I need to do less of that. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. How do I apply that and bring that more into my life? But we can use some of these really great self-help books as workbooks, essentially is what I'm saying. Even if it's not structured that way, and most of them are not, you can do that. And also just luckily through Google, there are things like worksheets that will literally walk your hand through acknowledging and looking at cognitive distortions, right? Some maladaptive behaviors, a lot of good articles on um, healthier coping mechanisms, right? So that's, that's there for you. We have to make the best of what we have. The system is far from ideal. I think insurance companies can be a nightmare to work with. That's why I personally don't. They're very unethical. They don't cover all treatment or for the needed length of time or covering the full therapist fee at times. So that's why a lot of people like myself have opted out, you know, but I just wanted to kind of cover the fact that there are some things that exist. Uh, we're going to take a little break and when we come back, we're going to talk about friendships. Yes. I uh, was looking at some interesting stuff over the week, looking at the different ways that people exist in our lives and the benefits to some of that. So we'll talk about that. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're back and we're talking about friendships. You know, it's interesting how many uh, different ways people can exist in our lives. And friendships tend to kind of exist on a little bit of a hierarchy or a continuum, right? We have the people that we're more casual with. I guess we have those terms, right? Like best friend, close friend, friend, and then like acquaintance. <clears throat> it kind of rolls outward as to maybe how often we see them, how important and meaningful they are to us, and also what we kind of tend to bond over, right? You have those party friends. And again, people can move in and out of these different labels. People can exist in multiple labels, right? So of course, as always, there's creative, diverse ways of existing in all of these things. All of the above, none of the above, switching back and forth. So these are all very loose things. So hold them loosely, but <clears throat> sometimes there's people that we socialize with because they have shared interests. You know, hey, that's my bar friends. We go drink. That's what we do. Or those are my, you know, athletic, rugged friends. And we're the ones that, you know, go camping and hiking. But then there's maybe there's other people that you turn to to have those deeper conversations. Look, it's 2021, May's Mental Health Awareness Month. We're, we're acknowledging that every force and, and, and thing in our life has an impact on our mental health. All of your social ex relationships, your jobs, your hobbies, um, how you treat, talk to, and spend time with yourself, like all these things impact us. But we truly are only as healthy as the people around us because we're very much open systems and we absorb the norms and values and coping mechanisms and ways of being of those that we spend a lot of time around. Social contagion, but also we tend to assimilate in and we adopt language, right? Postures, behavioral traits. We're open systems. Our brains are interpersonally wired. They're sponges. So we want to be aware of that. And so I, I, when I run groups, I would work, uh, we would do this uh, exercise where I'd say, write down the top five people you spend time around. And again, you, got, you all are familiar with some of this framework. How do you feel before, during, and after you're with them? What kinds of things do you do together? Do you think they enhance your life or do they decrease and shrink your life? And really just examining, giving them letter grades, not as a way to assess them as much as to assess the impact they have on you. How are you showing up to them? How are they showing up to you? And really looking at that and saying that's part of your mental health. These are not neutral things, right? But looking at some of this research, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, the average adult, and again, this is the average. That doesn't mean this is the goal. This doesn't mean that this is the right way or healthy way. This is just what is. The average adult has about 16 people that they would classify as friends, okay? Very loose, loose term. And according to a poll, this is from 2019, of 2,000 Americans, okay? Um, of those 16 people, that people that most adults would call all their friends, about three of them are what they would call friends for life. So about three, three of that 16. And of that 16, three are friends for life, and another five are people that they'd say, yeah, I really like them. Maybe not friends for life, but I really like them. The other eight are not people they would hang out with one-on-one. -on -one. 
So what does that mean? That means that a lot of people run around the bulk of people that are there by context, by happenstance, by connection of others, based on just where they maybe go or things they do, but they don't necessarily provide anything or have a lot of meaning or purpose to them. And they call it the social, social psychologists have this term called expedient friendships, that they might be pleasant, right? no harm is caused, but that they're there more for a purpose. There's a use. And it's not meaning that, it doesn't mean that you're using them. It just means that there's a purpose. We have common friends. We hang out the same places. Um, it, but there's there's something that links you, that, that holds them in your life that isn't just rooted in, I value them in and of themselves, right? They're held in place by something, some other reason, some other purpose. Um, now, looking at some other research, it showed that, and this is done over decades, here's a quote, that it is almost impossible to be happy without friends. Friendship accounts, based on a lot of this research, for almost 60% of the difference between happiness in individuals. So again, that means when they're looking at different individuals who have happiness or unhappiness based on self-report, which is not always reliable, but nonetheless, let's go with it. Those that are happier, claim to be happy, their friendships account for about 60% of that happiness. That's what the research is calling out when they really dig in. And what I loved is they acknowledge that there's extroversion and introverted, and they said based on this research, it didn't really matter whether they're introverted or extroverted. The people that claim to be happiest, 60% of that happiness was rooted in the people in their life based on those friendships. Um, and then they basically were saying, and I agree with this, so take that seriously. If 60% of our happiness the possibility of happiness, 60% of our lack of happiness, but when we really center that term, it's that important. That's more than half of our happiness is rooted in that quality of friendship. So we really need to take honest stock of, do we have enough friends? Do we have the right friends? And I said that to people during um, pandemic. I said, you know, keeping connected is gonna help us and help others. And that's now time that maybe realize I don't have enough friends or the right friends that I would want. So are there people you've wished you were closer with that you can work on getting closer to? Are there people that maybe are important to you but they've drifted that you can reconnect with? Is it about getting deeper with the people that are already in your life? Or maybe it's even about completely starting over. But 60% of our happiness dependent upon the social networks that we have, it's pretty meaningful. And they're saying whether introverted or extroverted. So really take some time to do that assessment. I mean, this is something you have to kind of go off and do on your own. Um, we'll talk more about though, because I'm always bringing in these social elements. But coming up next, we're gonna be doing some DMs. If you got a DM for us, drop it in our Loveline IG page in the DMs. So stick around, we'll be breaking that on down. When we get back, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back. And before we get to the DMs, y'all hear about the Golden Globes. No one really wants to broadcast them anymore. I'm not mad at it. I know a lot of y'all ain't gonna like to hear that because you're big fans of the award seasons and award ceremonies, but um, I don't know. I decide what movies are good and what movies I like. I'm not really so concerned with what other people think. I kind of think for myself, so I decide what are the best movies of the year, and usually they're not the ones nominated. I prefer more indie-based flicks. You know, they're not overwritten and overproduced. Um, I also, you know, some people really push back on the... Um, casualness they didn't like that some of the people receiving awards were in hoodies at home relaxed dressing i like that i'm all about us getting more casual there's something very classist in this idea that we have to be wearing bougie stuff or designers to go to certain events i don't know i think we should just keep it comfortable and cool i don't need all that mess but a lot of people don't want to broadcast they think that there's a lot of racism uh not representation on the board based on who decides think it's a bunch of white cis hetero people but uh they also just don't like the films that they choose Eh, it's just an award you know what i mean you don't need other people to validate your stuff you know what i mean if it's good it's good but time to uh glide into those dms gliding into the dms tonight's question says uh hey dr chris my name is also chris <laughs> thank you for always putting out good advice and relationship advice i kind of got myself into one and i need some more advice i've been dating this girl for about six months we've known each other for three to four years I work in her dad's shop. She just told her dad about us and he flipped out. He fired me. Now, understandably, she's putting her family and his feelings first, and I don't wanna seem selfish, but when do I start worrying about me? I lost my job, not getting income, and I feel like she's not really taking my feelings into consideration. Like, I wanna to go to HR and she's telling me not to because she 
can talk to her dad and talk him down, which hasn't even happened yet. Oh man, this is a rough one. Uh, because it really depends on what your goal is. Is your goal the job or is your goal her? If your goal is primarily the job, go to HR. Not that HR is always going to help you. HR is on the side of the company. Know that. They're on the payroll of the company. HR's first priority is keeping the company happy and looking out for them. Sorry to have to be the one to tell you that. They might imply otherwise, but that is not true. But if you're really caring more about your job, that would be the first place you should go. Um, if you care more about her, then yes, find another job, period, end of story. If he is unhappy with you dating her enough where he will fire you, I just don't believe that he has the kind of integrity that should make you feel safe returning to work for him. Because if you break up with her, he might dump you. If you upset her and she complains to him, he might, uh, I'm sorry, he dump you. I'm sorry. If you dump her, he might fire you again, right? He might take it out on you if you're upsetting to her for some reason. It's risky. He's already shown that professionalism is second to his family stuff, which is fine, but now you know. Get a second job, get a second job. Get a new job somewhere else, and then you can date her. It's not a great, it was never a great idea, but not with someone who can't manage that, right? Had he hung in there, had he talked to you, maybe I would trust it, but he fired you when he found out. I don't know why you would ever want to go back or feel comfortable going back. If you're in dire need of employment or love that job and it means that much, I would not date her. But I don't think you can have both, and that's a decision he has shown us. And she's also not jumping in there to advocate for you. So again, if you really want her, go find a new job. That's the only stable way. And if the job means more, then go to HR and maybe say to her, listen, this job's meaningful, this job's important. We've only been hanging out for six months. Like I need to put that first um, and go after that. But I don't believe based on what you just told me, you can have both. And that's often how the world goes. We want three options and we only have two. It's her or the job. I just don't trust her dad. He just fired you over that, you know what I mean? Which is a little dramatic um, and clearly there's more to it and that's my concern. There's more to it and that's not getting addressed or cleared up. It's not just about getting the job back and I don't know how you'd feel secure going back because you'll get fired again. Um, all right, y'all, if you got another DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, check out past episodes for all my other amazing relationship, mental health, and sex advice over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, look for my face, bam, click on it. There they all are. Coming up next, we're going to be talking about the cycle of abuse. So a little bit of a content and trigger warning. If you're not prepared for that, bam, it's not a segment for you, but we do want to identify if maybe we are the abuser enacting this cycle on someone or if we ourselves are trapped in an abusive relationship and kind of, you know, not really seeing it as such. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, closing out on some DMs, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, we're talking about the abuse cycle. So a little bit of a trigger warning and a content warning. Uh, we're going to be talking about abuse and it's really important to bring this up because some people misunderstand different positions in the expected cycle and they think, oh, well, wait a minute, things are all better, things are resolved. No, it might just be one of the steps in the cycle. And so we're going to kind of talk about the four parts. You can acknowledge here we are. And you can say, I think I know what phase is coming next. And then you see it coming next. And the work is about stepping outside and really shifting that. Um, so basically, you know, some people collapse it down into three stages. We're going to talk about it in a, in, in, uh, in a more expanded way. So it's basically, and again, you might be at a different point. It, it, it's a cycle. So you're going to be at one of these four points currently. So there's the tension building. There's the actual incident or moment of abuse. Then there's reconciliation. And then there's the sense of calm or peace. And then we go back to tension. And then abuse happens again. And then reconciliation again. And then we feel calm and peaceful. And the problem is when you buy into the reconciliation and calm, you think, oh, we're better. Everything's resolved. But then you feel the tension building again. And then you notice we're in an abusive place again. So before we get into breaking down those four stages more with more depth, I want to remind you, if you're in a relationship with physical abuse, I'm not saying it's easy, but I need to just say it's time to leave. The minute there's actual abuse, it's the relationship ended in that moment and you have a right to pack up and go. I'm not saying that everyone can. I'm not saying that everyone's ready. I'm not saying everyone's able to, but I do need to just professionally call that out. That the minute abuse enters any relationship of any kind, whether it's social, professional, romantic, that you have a right to say this now just ended and I'm going to leave. And that's always the best solution. Whatever it means, you need to walk out, walk away, um, seek help, seek support, whatever it is. But I don't want anyone to say that it's acceptable and that it's something we work through. No, we remove ourselves first, right? 
and we put that responsibility on the abuser. Um, but these four cycles are important to look at. Uh, some people call them psycho-abuse, some people call them cycle of violence, and this can be applied again to any kind of relationship. So the first one is the tension building, and that's kind of the precursor to the abuse, right? Um, and usually it's not even always related to the victim, right? The tension can be built because of unrelated social issues, family issues, maybe something happened at work and the abuser had a rough work day. Um, maybe they're sad, depleted, maybe they're you know using drugs and alcohol, doesn't really matter, but you acknowledge that tension's starting to build. And again, this isn't the first step, it's a circle, it's a cycle. So this is just, we're entering somewhere within all this. Um, and basically then this, this individual, the abuser, feeling this sense of tension, or you feel the tension in the relationship, um, feels the need to do something with it and acts it out uh, directly at you if you might've been the cause of that tension, or you're not even related to the tension, but you're there, you're the place where this person tries to relieve it or act it out. Um, abuse can be physical. There's also something called implied violence where maybe they don't physically hit or throw something at you, but they throw things around you or they slam doors or they slam things on the ground. That's implied abuse, that's implied violence, right? It still creates a traumatic response right? That's no more okay because they didn't throw it at you, but they just threw it at the wall. That's, that's still a form of physical abuse and implied violence, threatening to harm you or some of your stuff, trying to control your behavior, right? Um, emotional abuse or manipulation, any tension they experience might be what they're using to defend the bad behavior that they're engaging in, you know? Um, now that's the abuse but then here's what happens that's shocking and surprising to many. And this is what happens next that throws many people off. If an abuser just maintained that abuse or that tension was often there, right? Tension, abuse, more tension. Well, it's a little clear, but we get thrown off and confused when magically after the abuse happens, well, the tension dissipates because the abuser got it out of their system. And now all of a sudden, magically, they're complimenting us. They're giving us gifts. It's what some people call the honeymoon stage. Some people call it reconciliation, others call it the honeymoon, where now they're trying to repair, they're trying to fix. I'll never do it again, but I love you. And it can feel really good, because that's what we always wanted. We wanted to feel cared for and loved by this individual. So we think, oh, everything's okay, they apologized, right? And then we move into calm, right? The abusive partner might apologize, defend their abuser, defend their abuse saying, oh, things are tough at work, things are tough with my family member, or, you know, you get me to do this because you do this, that, and the other thing. You know, you kind of help me get there, you walk me in there, maybe you're responsible. And then bam, rinse and repeat, as they say. Cycle, the cycle happens over and over. So look at that. How many times have you been through that cycle? You shouldn't, ideally we go through it once and we realize this is how this person operates. Healthy adults, don't act out their distress or struggles. They talk about them. They say things like, I had a rough day, let's talk about it. They don't somehow come home and act it out on you. If they're struggling with you, they tell you directly, right? And just to kind of expand out, remember, someone trying to control your finances, someone going through your social media, telling you what you can post or not post, someone name calling, that's all part of that abusive, um, the, the, uh, a phase of abuse within that larger cycle. And you can predict it. You know, some people just watch this happen over and over. And what happens is when you try to advocate for yourself or try to set boundaries or try to tell them that some, when this, some of this is not okay, they retaliate. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about uh, the cycle of abuse and how to protect ourselves. Uh, you're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back. And, um, you know, again, a content warning, a little bit of a trigger warning. We're talking about the cycle of abuse. So uh, just be aware of that. Do any grounding you might need to do if this topic is triggering for you. We're kind of just, you know, maybe skip through this. But um, we were talking in the last segment about the cycle. And that's a way to just help people understand that they're part of a cycle, right? Recognizing, oh, man, this isn't a normal part of being in a relationship. This is a cycle of abuse. I'm trapped in something abusive. That's a sign <clears throat> that there's work to be done. And now I want to say this to those that might realize that they are the abuser, right? That's important for you to realize that you might be the person that is part of or creating that, right? So look at that. Do that work. Again, we want people's lives to be made better because we enter them, not harder. We don't want to have an abusive impact on someone. 
Um, <clears throat> now, I'm gonna be more centering though of those on the receiving end. Uh, first, identify that you're in that and that something needs to be done. And sometimes we can't make our partner a part of that. Um, often abusive individuals aren't interested in understanding that they're abusive. Uh, however, if you're with someone who is open to that, you can maybe get into some couples therapy and work on that or talk that out as individuals, but most likely not. So we need to talk about what do you need to do? Well, first off, you need to get away from the abuser. That's always what we do clinically. When we're working with a couple and one of them's an abuser, we pause on couples and we separate them out. Couples therapy and marital therapy is for people that are in a non-abusive relationship. If someone's abusive, it's about individual work, right? So. You need to get away from your abuser. And again, I'm not saying that's simple. I'm not saying that's easy. I'm not saying that that's an expectation we can have on everyone and have it on them immediately. There's more There's more to it. There's nuance. But we're going to be talking in broad strokes. Uh, so you want to separate. Um, <clears throat> not all victims of domestic violence uh, are going to be able to identify or going to have a way to exit. But that's what the work is going to look like. And all abuse is not visual and identifiable. Some of it's more emotional, psychological, or social, right? Name calling, implied violence, right? When you create violence around them, um, withholding, right? There's there's a lot of ways that that can happen. But we need to be able to identify those traits. We've talked about it in other shows. Uh, something you can very easily Google. You know, what are the traits of an abusive relationship? And in the next segment, I'm going to swoop in and kind of clarify some of that. But I just want to start by talking about what we need to do. So recognize it. First off, you have to be able to call it out. Um, you got to be able to speak up. If you know that someone's being uh, abused or you think that they are, you need to bring that up. We do want to think about community care. We talk tons about self-care, but there's community care. We are responsible for those around us. We are responsible for ending abuse and racism and homophobia. You know, it's that show, What Would You Do? I'm glad that people are stepping in. If you see something or hear something, you are involved. You are responsible. Step in, right? So we do need to speak up. Um, I don't want people approaching the abuser themselves, right? Instead, focus on the victim, getting the victim, their, helping the victim, helping the victim get their needs met, helping the victim find safe space, helping the victim set the boundaries they need to set, helping the victims financially, helping the children of the victims. We want to go that route, right? We want to get them out of danger. That's the number one goal, help get them out of danger, right? And also in doing so, help them recognize that they're part of an abusive relationship. Um, if you're the victim, right? No, no, don't ever let anyone rationalize or say that this is part of a relationship. It's not. Your first goal should be safety and security and creating a plan to do that. And it might be something that takes time, reaching out to family members or loved ones to say, I need to get out of this relationship. Can I stay with you? Can you offer financial support or resources? But that's gonna be your first goal is how do I get out? You don't have to worry about the abuser. You don't have to worry about anything else but safety. Figuring out when's a safe way to leave. A safe time, a safe place, and a safe way. Not everyone can just walk away, right? But we don't want to deny the abuse. We don't want to rationalize it or make it okay. We don't want to get trapped in the moments of peace or the reconciliation, which is part of that cycle, and think that things are different or better now, right? Because it's not enough that they apologize and make up for it. The fact that it happened is a problem because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. If it's happened once, it's possible that it can happen twice because now it's been made and we've seen it. It's made, we've seen, we know it's possible. But if it happens again, well now we're definitely in the cycle, right? So what do we do? Well, there's a lot of domestic violence hotline, right? 1-800-799-7233, it's 1-800-799-SAFE. We wanna reach out. We wanna understand what's available to us. Um, but I want people to get involved, right? I want the individuals that suspect or see this to step in. When someone's on their own in any kind of conflict, it's hard for us to not sometimes question reality. It's hard for us to not sometimes think maybe we're catastrophizing or dramatizing something. It's hard for us to feel empowered. But when a family member or a loved one steps in and says, listen, uh, I, I'm worried about you or I, I, I'm wondering how safe you feel or good you feel in your relationship, we, we don't feel alone in something. And that's a lot of what this is, right? Identifying for ourselves, but also identifying in others, but also knowing the languaging. And this is just a global mental health tool. We have to be able to use the words and have the confidence if we think someone's suicidal, if we think someone's dealing with a problematic relationship to drugs and alcohol, if we think someone's an abuser or abused, we do want to get confident and, and normalize asking these questions. You know, I'm worried about you. Your mood has seemed different. Is everything okay? How's your mental health? Or I'm worried about you. 
Um, I don't see you anymore. Is everything feeling safe and secure within your relationship? We want to be non-judgmental. We want, don't want to be accusatory. We want to present ourselves as a resource, as a calm, safe space, right? So be very thoughtful about that. But I guess the global message is identify the cycle if you're in it. Know that your first goal should be to separate and to get out. Your goal should not be to resolve, to repair. When we're in an abusive situation, it's about getting safe first and then unpacking everything else. And also, again, being able to recognize if you think that someone's in that struggle and needs help. So gonna take a little break and when we come back, um, we're gonna talk about what are some of the signs of social, emotional, or psychological abuse. I think some of these things have been normalized. I see them in television and they're excused. And some of them are just things that people have come to learn to accept. And, and, and I want this year to be about us being in more resilient, robust, healthier relationships. We deserve that, everyone deserves that. Um, and we're exiting things that are toxic right? Because often they have a negative impact on us far before we can have a positive impact on them, right? So stick around. You're listening to Love Live with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. If your day sounds like... We need the report ASAP. You deserve Medella. If you've persevered through... You deserve this rich golden lager with a crisp but refreshing taste. Or if you overcame. Two more reps, two more. You deserve this ice cold reward. Medela, the Markable Fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. All right, we're back. And again, content warner and tr- uh, content warning and trigger warning. We're talking about abuse and signs of abuse. And uh, it's important to talk about this because I don't want it to be normalized. I want us to make a problem of these behaviors. Some of these things have become things that some individuals are very familiar with and they've made them acceptable and I want that to not be the truth anymore. So we're gonna start with the physical and that's more visual. I think that's more apparent to some people. Um, But again, we wanna be very sensitive because I want everyone to be in the healthy relationships. I don't want us to let people off the hook. So we're using this to really identify what we might do to others so we can call ourselves out and say, I need to be better, but also to identify what might be, you know, what others might be doing to us to set boundaries and to maybe exit. Uh, physical abuse, intimidation, coercion, ridiculing, harassment. Notice how it's not necessarily putting your hands on someone. We often think abuse is hitting or slapping or smacking, but intimidation, coercion, any form of harassment, and like we talk about implied violence where someone's breaking or throwing things around you, that still falls under that category. That's not okay. That's not, like, I want everyone to know that. That is not how we deal with disappointment or frustration or anger. That's not the way, right? So it's not just the hitting, there, there are these other components of it. And I think that that throws some people off because abuse can be sexual, it can be physical, it can be psychological, it can be emotional, it can be financial, right? When we're not letting someone have access to money, we're withholding money, right? So really sit with that. Resources, we talk about that with elder abuse where people no longer help them get their physical or, or hygiene needs met or they're stealing money or withholding money. That is a form of physical violence. That is not acceptable. We, we, we really do need to be aware of that. Now, again, when we lean into the emotional, we're talking about name calling. Yes, some people think that name calling is normal or acceptable or it's become familiar. It's not. If you name call or put someone down when you're upset, you're an abuser. You're an emotional abuser. Stop that. Work on that. Learn your triggers. Learn better forms of coping. If you're on the receiving end of it, I want you to hear me say, it's never okay, right? What else falls under emotional abuse? Humiliation. Really sit with that. Humiliation is a form of abuse. 
constant criticism, that is a form of abuse, whether it's to an adult or a child or a husband or wife or an employee or a coworker, that is abuse. That is not acceptable. Threatening, shouting, these are some things that, again, we're very familiar with. Healthy relationships don't include that. Look, saying this to model this and to inspire you, so here coming from love, I don't allow myself to do that in a relationship with someone. I would never name call, ridicule, or humiliate or bully someone I love or care about. I would never allow someone in my life to do that to me. I don't care what their role is in my life. I don't care what their title is. Parent, you know, police officer, whatever we're talking about, we all have a right to, to be treated with respect and care. Um, these things become very normalized. And then we move into things that are psychologically abusive. And this is something that often falls under the discussions around narcissists, and we're gonna not get into that. But know that this is more the psychological abuse, right? Which is gaslighting, where someone's constantly telling you that your perception or your opinions or how you see something or remember something, that it's wrong and that you're the problem. Also denial, where they deny that they've done or said anything. Where they trivialize, they water down. They're like, it's not that big of a deal, you're being dramatic. That's both a form of gaslighting and a form of kind of trivializing and, and also a little bit of denial. Uh, manipulating your feelings, right? Emotional blackmailing. Like I want all of this to feel really harsh and I want this to really feel, I guess, unacceptable, right? But again, we're looking at ourselves and we're looking at others. I don't want I don't want people to always be looking at the other. We have to look at that ourselves. And that's where like I even talk all the time about just general integrity and care. If someone's let you down or disappointed you, even if they've harmed you, be very thoughtful about not perpetuating and becoming the perpetrator yourself. Sometimes victims will will perpetrate from the victim stance. Because they've been harmed, they'll think it's then okay to enact harm on them or someone else, and it's not. You wanna end the cycle of violence. If someone was in a bad relationship with you, please don't go put them on blast on your social media and victimize them from the victim position. Just because you've been victimized doesn't mean that your perpetrating or violent behavior is acceptable. Like I said, it's never acceptable to be physically, emotionally, or psychologically abusive, or even socially. Even if you were the victim, you still are held accountable. That is part of ending the cycle of violence. Otherwise, you're recreating that. And then you normalize and internalize that and you act that out on someone else. And that's what's really hard in doing that work around healing and stepping outside of that. People that were raised in families like that or relationships like that is for them to realize, I don't want to take that forward. And that's that parent that came from an abusive childhood and said, I'll never become an abusive adult or parent. And they don't. They work on that. They're aware of that. They know what that looks like. And they decide to not take that forward. And that's part of that work is not doing to others what's been done to you. And that's very hard, right, when we've been mistreated because sometimes we don't feel powerful otherwise, or we don't know how else to be. And that's where that difficult work comes on. But we want to call that out. We're not trying to continue enacting violence on others. We're trying to make it stop with us. You know, it's difficult work. And for some, it's a lifelong level of work. But for those that are single, these are also things you want to be aware of as you move into dating and, and relationship with others is not letting this ever get off the ground and calling it out the minute it happens. Um, we'll keep talking about it. Coming up next, so we're going to be doing some DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the IG in the DMs on our Loveline Energy page and uh, past episodes of Loveline, as always, over at wearechannelq.com. Coming up next, DMs, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new Channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, y'all, we are back and now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. Tonight's DM says, hey, Dr. Chris, I've been with my partner for three years. <clears throat> we kind of came to the realization that we aren't meant for super long term. We want different futures, she wants kids. I don't. <clears throat> she wants to settle and buy a house, but I enjoy apartment hopping. That's, those are two very important and distinct visions and structure, structural needs for the relationship in the future. So I'm glad that that's gotten brought up. I think it should be. But the rest of your question says, however, however, <laughs> we are having a hard time breaking up. We know it won't work long term, but it's hard saying goodbye right now. Uh, yeah, you love each other and your love is powerful and love 
doesn't care about these social made up constructions like child childbearing needs and you know homes versus apartments and the freedom to just keep changing apartments and maybe moving around where homeownership is very expensive with upkeep and repair and depreciation and relocation and all that so yeah you got to decide what means more oftentimes we choose love other times we choose our vision you know people make these assumptions homeownership is more stable no it's not Apartment hopping's less stable. No, not necessarily. It's what we make of these things. Uh, you can't even commit to whether or not your mind will change about kids because maybe it will. Maybe she'll change her mind and realize she doesn't want them. You know? But you are where you are. You love each other. Apparently, though, it's time to separate. Take your time. That's my answer. Take your time. There's no rush. We can work our ways out like we worked our ways in. You know what I mean? We moved in slow. We can move out slow. A lot of times people... Think a breakup has to be immediate. Like we're breaking up, so we're doing it tomorrow. It's over, goodbye, I'm blocking you, deleting you. We're never talking again. It's very dramatic, harsh, and also psychologically violent. We should be friends with our exes. I love what you're essentially saying. We love each other. No one did anything bad or wrong. We want each other in our lives still. So we're gonna lovingly leave in a very comfortable way for both of us so it doesn't have to be traumatic or torturous. And that's what you're gonna do. And then the love will remain. You'll still get to be in each other's lives. Talk all the time. Newly date. Introduce your new partners to your exes. It's a beautiful thing. Being friends with exes is a sign that you leave lovingly. It's a good communication to your future partner. I'm not going to just hurt you and dump you and be harsh, right? People that aren't friends with their exes, that's not a great sign. It means they stay in bad relationships or they don't leave when things are needing to be over or they leave violently. It's just not good. And you guys can still be in each other's lives just because the romantic sexual part isn't going to work. All the other things you like about each other, you still get to have in your lives and have access to. So don't completely rip them out of your life because that's what I'm hearing. It's hard to be that dramatic. It's hard to just say it's over now, move out, right? Work your way out slowly and lovingly. Hey, who's going to move out? Ah, me. Okay. Well, I'm going to give myself a month to comfortably find something. And then your loving partner will say, great. And in the meantime, I will start to shop for furniture to replace the furniture you're taking out. And then you'll help each other pack. You know what I mean? Like it can be done in a loving way. People that are like floored by what I'm saying, it's because you don't know how to be in healthy relationships. You're not familiar with people leaving lovingly. And people calmly and lovingly discussing whether or not we should continue to do this. That is what adults, that's what adult healthy relationships should look like when it's ending. It shouldn't have to be hurtful. It shouldn't have to be hateful. We don't, shouldn't have to block each other. That's been too normalized. I'm friends with all of my exes. I've left lovingly. So have they. We still talk. I still love all of them. My current partner has met them all. There's, there's no need to be jealous. Why? Because I'm worthy of trust. I only date people that are worthy of trust, right? But I think we handle breakups in such a dramatic way that it's traumatizing. And that's what you're trying to avoid. So love each other, leave lovingly, and keep each other in your lives. Move slow. Take your time. There doesn't need to be a rush. There's, there's no expiration date. We have as much time as we need, you know? So just be kind and caring with each other. It's all we can ask, right? If you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. And uh, past episodes of Loveline over at wearechannelq.com. Scroll down, bam, look for my face, click on it. There it is. And uh, just kind of a reminder, end of the week, make sure you're focusing on rest, tons of joy and pleasure, and as much self-care as possible, right? We're being kind to each other. We're being kind to ourselves. We're letting go of things, right? That's what the world needs right now, more healers. <laughs> so uh, let's, let's focus on that. But as always, y'all, thanks for hanging out, and you enjoy the rest of your night. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide.